0: I'm Robert Sheehan and this is Wild Stories, an artistic celebration and exploration of the work and life of Oscar Wilde through his fairy tales. The Happy Prince, and other stories. In this project, we've brought together actors and artists to reimagine Wilde through his early fairy tales. Actors Brian Gleeson, Lauren Coe, and myself, have become the voices of the stories while composer Michael Gallen and visual artist Felicity Clear have collaborated on music and animations inspired by Wilde and these tales. Of the five stories in this first collection by Wilde, the selfish giant is perhaps the best known and most beloved. This short tale of a misanthropic gardener has captured the imagination of many, including Stephen Fry, who says it started his lifelong love affair with Wilde, and his work. It was Wilde's own favourite. His son Vivian said he used to cry when he read it. And when asked why, Wilde would say he always cried at deeply beautiful things. This story of a beautiful garden with its high walls and trespassers will be prosecuted sign has inspired many interpretations. Some remark that Wilde's own family in Dublin, at the stylish number one Merrion Square, faced a very beautiful park which was then exclusively for the residents and denied to the local poor children. But let's hear Oscar Wilde's wonderful story before we go any further. The Selfish Giant, read for us by Brian
1: Gleeson.
2: The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. Every afternoon, As they were coming from school, the children used to go and play in the giant's garden. It was a large, lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there over the grass stood beautiful flowers like stars. And there were twelve peach trees that in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat in the trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. How happy we are here, they cried to each other. One day the giant came back. He'd been to visit his friend, the Cornish ogre, and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited and he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. "'What are you doing here?' he cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. "'My own garden is my own garden,' said the giant. "'Anyone can understand that, "'and I will allow nobody to play in it but myself.' So we built a high wall all round it, and put up a notice board. Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play in the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander round the high wall when their lessons were over, and talk about the beautiful garden inside. How happy we were there they said to each other. Then the spring came, and all over the country there were little blossoms and little birds. Only in the garden of the selfish giant it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, But when it saw the notice board, it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost. Spring has forgotten this garden, they cried, so we will live here all the year round. The snow covered up the grass with their great white cloak and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the North Wind to stay with them and he came. He was wrapped in furs and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. This is a delightful spot, he said. We must ask the hail on a visit. So the hail came. Every day for three hours he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates and then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in grey and his breath was like ice. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming," said the selfish giant, as he sat at the window and looked out at his cold white garden. I hope there will be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. He is too selfish, she said. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning the giant was lying awake in bed when he heard some lovely music. It sounded so sweet to his ears that he thought it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little linnet singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. Then the hail stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind ceased roaring, and a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. I believe the spring has come at last, said the giant, and he jumped out of bed and looked out. What did he see? he saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see, there was a little child. And the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene, only in one corner it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. Climb up, little boy, said the tree, and it bent its branches down as low as it could, but the boy was too tiny, and the giant's heart melted as he looked out. How selfish I have been, he said. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will put that poor little boy on the top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall, and my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. He was really very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they all ran away and the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand and put him up into the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossom. And the birds came and sang on it. And the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them round the giant's neck and kissed him. And the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back. And with them came the spring. It is your garden now. "'Little children,' said the giant. And he took a great axe and knocked down the wall. And when the people were going to market at twelve o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. "'But where is your little companion?' he said. "'The boy I put into the tree.' The giant loved him the best because he had kissed him. We don't know, answered the children, he has gone away. You must tell him to be sure and come here tomorrow, said the giant. But the children said that they did not know where he lived and had never seen him before and the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon when school was over, the children came and played with the giant. But the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children, yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him.
3: How I would
2: like to see him, he used to say. Years went over and the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about any more, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, he said, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning he looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder, and looked and looked. It certainly was a marvellous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden, and silver fruit hung down from them, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy, and out into the garden he hastened across the grass and came near to the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who had dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay him. Nay, answered the child, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant and said to him, You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden. Which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms.
0: The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde, read there by Brian Gleason, and you can read the story. Listen to podcasts and enjoy the visual animations by artist Felicity Clear along with the music of composer Michael Gallen all on the project's website wildstories.ie. This melting of the selfish giant's heart, his transformation through love, shares a theme of Christian redemption and salvation with The Happy Prince, our opening story in the series. When Wilde himself cried reading the story, it was at the moment when the special child says, these are the wounds of love. For the happy prince and later the nightingale, love means sacrifice and suffering. The happy ever after ending in these stories is only ever in life hereafter, in heaven, in the garden of paradise that's promised to the prince, the swallow and the giant. I think the Selfish Giant was his favourite um, and it's probably mine as well. I think it's the most moving. I think this is in one sense the most straightforward and simplest of all the stories but I think it touches Wilde very deeply and it connects with a lot of his wider interests and it does so in a very concise and very intense way. That's Jarleth Killeen, a lecturer and writer on the Wilde fairy tales, at Trinity College, Dublin. I'm not surprised that it was used, for example, in the film with Stephen Fry as Oscar Wilde, and it was used throughout the story as a kind of commentary on the events of his life.
4: So one way is to see it as this man who thinks he's very important and who has actually cut himself off from all humanity and who becomes redeemed through his love for children. Anne Markey. There's another reading of the story that personally I don't particularly like, but that it is the story of love between an older man and a a boy. But there have been some very ingenious readings of this story as a vindication of love between men. The same thing has been done with The Happy Prince. Another way to look at it is very much as a Christian parable. I think the thread that binds a lot of these stories together is friendship, mutual devotion, sacrifice and generosity and the need for generosity. If we take Wilde's Irish background into account, there's a man called Owen Dudley Edwards who suggested that we can see this story of the giant who lives in his castle and who won't let the children play in the garden. We can see that giant as a landlord, a landlord from the Protestant ascendancy who is keeping the riches to himself and not letting the landless poor, who are the children, in to share in his garden. And he realises that actually this is wrong.
0: For Wilde's grandson, the story should be embraced for what it is, rather than used as a mirror for other things or other agendas.
3: I mean, the idea, perhaps, that the selfish giant is a reflection on the socio-economic history of Ireland and the greedy landlords and the poor tenants and the giant knocking down his wall as a call to the British to be, you know, more understanding towards their Irish tenant farmers and so on. It's all very possible. But I think there comes a point when that school of what we think he thought gives way to what he probably didn't think, but we think he ought to have thought. And that, I think, is a step too far. Um, It keeps academics in business, so be it. But I think one can read too much into it but it's a very interesting developmental point in his life which I think is a serious turning point away from respectability and towards this decadent lifestyle which we then see from 1890 onwards. Merlin Holland.
0: Composer Michael Gallan says the selfish giant inspired him to write his most ambitious piece in the suite.
1: He's called it the most beautiful flowers of all. There's a line in The Selfish Giant which is the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. The giant says, I have many beautiful flowers in my garden but the children are the most beautiful. And it was fairly clear to me that the children should be at the forefront of the end of the piece. Mainly because of that final image of the cherry blossoms falling onto the giant's body. When I was at junior school, I went to see a puppet show of The Selfish Giant, I think in Armagh, and the last scene was the giant lying underneath the tree and then these beautiful blossoms just fallen on the giant's body. And it's just a wonderful image. And it's a really beautiful way to sum up the entirety of Wilde's project. On one end, there's such an amount of cynicism in Wilde's writing, but there's also this belief in a kind of a mystical redeeming force. So there's an innocence to the last movement of the piece. Really, the, the choir are at the forefront. I knew that at the end I wanted to recreate that sound of falling voices. They're kind of, at the beginning of the piece was all about voices rising up and the end is like little droplets of sound, little crystals in the children's choir uh, that repeat this line, today you shall be with me in my garden, which is paradise. But the words are all split from one another. So they kind of sound a little bit like droplets. And then in terms of the body of the piece itself, it took me a little while to realize that it should be a song. And the text is all taken from the story of the Selfish Giant. I I kind of put it in such a way that it could be also heard from the perspective of adults remembering their childhood and saying how happy we were back when we were children and, and, and feeling like there was some very clear vision that was lost through growing up. And I think that that's there in the stories as well. You know, Wilde's, even uh, from my background reading, I read a little bit of Wilde's other writing and particularly De Profunda stood out to me. He kept on going back to the innocence of a child and and how so much could be garnered from getting back to that, that point. He quotes Dante about how we fly from God's laughing and crying like a like little children. I think in terms of the pieces of music, it's, it's probably the one I'm proudest of, in that working with the children's choir, I realised it was such a delicate, beautiful thing there because you're not just working with musicians, you're working with an entire way of viewing the world and an entire way of singing and of, of encountering music. The children's choir were just absolutely wonderful. Anytime there would be a challenge, we'd kind of talk about it. We'd ask the kids if they were up for it and then we'd workshop it with them. And in every case, they just, nailed it. Really wonderful musicians to work with and I hope that they keep that love of music as they grow older.
0: Most beautiful flowers of all there, from Michael Gallen's Wild Stories Suite, performed and recorded by the RTE Concert Orchestra and RTE Cornanog, and you'll get to hear the full suite later on. One intriguing aspect of this story, The Selfish Giant, emerged just a few years ago and brings Oscar Wilde's wife, Constance, into the picture. Anne Markey is a lecturer and writer with a particular interest in the wild fairy tales.
4: A manuscript came to light that is currently in the Morgan Museum in New York. And it's a draft of The Selfish Giant. And the first page, you can see it online, the first page has The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. But what's interesting is that it's written by Constance. It's written in her hand.
0: It was Oscar and Constance's grandson, Merlin Holland, who made the connection.
3: But it's very interesting to speculate on the degree to which this couple might have discussed the stories that Oscar wrote. And indeed, you mentioned this manuscript of The Happy Prince. It is the only manuscript we have of any of these stories, and when it was drawn to my attention I did a facsimile of it for a wealthy Brazilian lady in New York and when I first saw it I thought ah pity if only it had been in Oscars hand and with a bit of reflection I realized in fact it was far more interesting that it was in Constance's hand than in Oscars because there are substantial differences from the final published version and There are certain things, for example, the famous notice, trespassers will be prosecuted. In Constance's version, there are three notices, not just one. Towards the end, when the giant sees the Christ child in the blossoming tree in the middle of winter and sees the stigmata on his hands and says, who has done this to thee, I shall take my great sword and slay him. And the child, in Constance's version, says this was done many years ago in order that all men should live and have salvation in Oscar's version it is simply nay but these are the wounds of love now anyone with a christian education knows precisely what that means less is more and he's in it's there in his own pencil correction it's, it's just not the sort of thing that Oscar would have written that bit in her version so i think She either wrote it down from memory because she'd heard it told or there might even have been more. I hesitate to say it these days because people at whatever level, be they academics or members of the public or children or whatever who love the story, say, the idea that this story, the selfish giant, my favourite, could possibly have been bitten by his wife. No, absolutely impossible. How dare you say such a thing? But I think it's very much to Constance's credit that I think she must have had a little bit of a hand in it somewhere. There's no doubt about my mind.
0: In Wilde's stories, we've been exploring the light and the shade in Oscar Wilde's life and work, through the prism of the fairy tales, the Happy Prince and other stories. This journey from the heights of London's literary society to Wilde's imprisonment stripped him of reputation, career and family. It's a journey that inspired composer Michael Gallen, to bring that contrast and colour into the music of wild stories. And so, as we reach the close of our series, we present Michael Gallen's full suite of wild stories inspired by the writing of Oscar Wilde. You've been listening to the Wild Stories Suite, composed by Michael Gallen around the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde, The Happy Prince, and other stories. The music was performed and recorded by the RTE Concert Orchestra and RTE Corn and Ogue, led by choral director Mary Amond O'Brien, with soloists Rachel Croash and Evan Lawrence, and conducted by Gavin Maloney. Wild Stories is an Athena Media production for RTE Lyric FM made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and the TV licence fee. You can find out more about the project, hear podcasts, and see the wonderful artwork by visual artist Felicity Clear online on the project's website, wildstories.ie. I'm Robert Sheehan. Thank you for listening.